Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 8, Episode 49. Last week, I covered the first part of the narrative around the Levites' concubine, which led to the history of the city of Jibea, where all of the violence took place. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm picking up with what happens next in the narrative and pressing forward. And with that, let's get started. Starting at the beginning of Judges chapter 20, paraphrased from the text, with what is widely known as the Benjaminite War. Then all the Israelites came out from Dan to Beersheba, including the land of Gilead, and the congregation assembled in one body before the Lord at Mizpah. A couple of notes about this. The city cited would have meant more to the reader, or listener, at that time. From the extreme north to the far south. As for Gilead, it was likely in there because it was in the extreme north of the territory occupied by the Israelites and included Mizpah. As for Mizpah specifically, like I covered a few episodes ago, this held special meaning to the people. This was where Jacob and Laban had struck an agreement several centuries before. Also, since they were said to have gathered before the Lord, this was a strong indication that the Ark of the Covenant made the trip, too. Back to the text. The chiefs of all the people, of all the tribes of Israel, presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 foot soldiers bearing arms. Then, parenthetically, we're told that the Benjaminites heard that the Israelites had gone up to Mizpah. This is interesting. Just a sentence earlier, we were told that the leaders of all the tribes made the trip, and now the Benjaminites heard about it, an indication of their status and of what was to come. The Israelites said, Tell us, how did this criminal act come about? The Levite. The husband of the woman who was murdered answered, I came to Jibea, that belongs to Benjamin, I and my concubine, to spend the night. The lords of Jibea rose up against me and surrounded the house at night. They intended to kill me, and they raped my concubine until she died. He left out the part where she was thrown out of the house. Details Then I took my concubine and cut her into pieces and sent her throughout the whole extent of Israel's territory, for they have committed a vile outrage in Israel. So now, you Israelites, all of you, give your advice and counsel here. All of the people got up as one, saying, We will not any of us go to our tents, nor will any of us return to our houses. But now this is what we will do to Jibea. We will go up against it by lot. We will take ten men of a hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel, and a hundred of a thousand, and a thousand of ten thousand, to bring provisions for the troops who will go to repay Jibea of Benjamin for all the disgrace that they have done to Israel. So all the men of Israel gathered against the city, united as one. But before war, they'd give Benjamin a chance to save itself. The tribes of Israel sent men through all of Benjamin, saying, What crime is this that has been committed among you? Now then, hand over those scoundrels in Jibea, 
so that we may put them to death and purge the evil from Israel. But the Benjaminites would not listen to their kinsfolk, the Israelites. Instead, they came together out of the towns of Jibea to go out to battle against the Israelites. On that day, the Benjaminites gathered 26,000 armed men from their towns, which was the census of their forces from outside of Jibea. The residents of that city gathered another 700 armed, hand-chosen men, giving some indication of the population of that town. Then, a curious tidbit. Of all the Benjaminites' force, there were 700 picked men who were left-handed. Also, everyone could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. The punctuation may indicate that all of the Benjaminites were proficient with the sling though it could have only been the left-handed ones. The NIV is clearer on the subject, reading that 700 select troops who were left-handed and each of whom could sling a stone accurately. The King James is as ambiguous as the New Revised Standard. A quick sidebar. In the recent past, when covering the judge Ehud, I mentioned how being left-handed could be a particular advantage in certain combat situations. Also, and this sometimes bugs me, and I'll likely get to it at some point in the future, but I've occasionally run across how some, when trying to disparage the Bible, point out how left-handed people were discriminated against, and sometimes even considered sinful. There's a reason for this, potentially rooted in the Latin and Greek languages, that I may get to at some point. But, Passages such as this one in Judges make no mention or even indication that being left-handed was sinful, but instead provided a fighting advantage. The exact quote from Judges is, Of all this force, there were 700 picked men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. My reading is that it's purely factual. But some will cling to anything to support a spurious position. Moving along. Back in the text, this part wraps up. And the Israelites, apart from Benjamin, mustered 400,000 men, all of them warriors. 400,000 versus nearly 27,000, 15 to 1. The Israelites proceeded to go up to Bethel, where they inquired of God. Which of us shall go up first to battle against the Benjaminites? And the Lord answered, Judah shall go up first. Then the Israelites got up in the morning and encamped against Jibea. They went out to battle, with Judah drawing up the front of the battle line against them at Jibea. The Benjaminites came out of Jibea and struck down on that day 22,000 of the Israelites. At this point, it's becoming clear why the writer assumed by many the beat of prophet Samuel, pointed out the slingshotters and left-handed warriors to explain why the Benjaminites did not easily fall, even though they were vastly outnumbered. Then the Israelites went up and wept before the Lord until the evening, and they inquired of the Lord, Shall we again draw near to battle against our kinsfolk, the Benjaminites? With God, presumably from the ark, answering, Go up against them. The Israelites strengthened themselves and again formed the battle line in the same place where they had formed it on the first day. So the Israelites advanced against the Benjaminites on the second day. 
Benjamin moved out against them from Jabiah and struck down another 18,000 armed Israelites. Then all the Israelites, the whole army, went back to Bethel and wept, sitting there before the Lord. They fasted that day until evening. They offered burnt offerings and sacrifices of well-being before the Lord. And the Israelites inquired of the Lord again. Pausing for a second. We're finally told, in parentheses, that they were asking the ark, and that Phinehas, the son of Eleazar and grandson of Aaron, ministered before the ark, the high priest, unpausing. They asked God, with probably Phinehas asking directly, Shall we go out once more to battle against our kinsfolk, the Benjaminites, or shall we desist? The Lord answered, Go up, for tomorrow I will give them into your hand. I'm pausing the narrative here, again, just for a minute, to provide a later rabbinic interpretation of the story up until this point. This story has been explained as a cautionary tale with an overriding theme that a man should never abuse his household. Earlier, the Levite's wife left him because she was either fearful or angry, this being the initial cause of the chronicle, with the underlying theme that marital and familial happiness was key to the proper functioning of society. Instead, in this story, and perhaps parable, more on that in the next episode, but here what began as a marital dispute led to the deaths of tens of thousands of Israelites. According to some rabbinic commentators, in the story, the high priest Phineas sinned due to his not availing his servitude of Torah instruction to the masses at the time leading up to the Battle of Jibea. This was compounded by his earlier sin of failing to address the needs of relieving Jephthah of his vow to sacrifice his daughter. Because of these two things, the high priesthood was taken from him and temporarily given to the sons of Ithamar, essentially Eli and his sons. There's something else in here. Phineas was Aaron's grandson, meaning this episode had to have occurred within a generation or so of the Israelites crossing the Jordan back into Canaan. Unpausing. Back in Judges, the next battle, maybe the next day, began with Israel stationing men around Jibea, waiting patiently for an opportunity to ambush. At some point three days later, the Israelites went up against the Benjaminites, establishing a battle line against Jibea, as they had done before. When the Benjaminites went out to meet the Israelites for battle, they were drawn away from the city. As they had done before, the battle was going the way of Benjamin. At least, it started that way. They were said to have inflicted casualties on the troops along the main roads, with one of these roads leading up to Bethel and the other to Jibea, as well as to the open country, killing about 30 men of Israel. Not to minimize any death, but this was much less than the previous day's losses, and quite naturally, the Benjaminites were not surprised. To quote the text, the Benjaminites thought, They are being routed before us, as previously, which is an interesting phraseology. The writer records their thoughts. Then the narrative switches to the Israelites' point of view. The Israelites said, 
let us retreat and draw them away from the city towards the roads. What's now a classic military maneuver. But even the classics had to begin somewhere. At this point, what's referred to as the main body of the Israelites drew back its battle line to Bel Tamar, while those Israelites who were waiting in ambush rushed out of their place west of Geba. I'll cover those two places shortly. What should be clear from the text is that these places weren't too far distant. The Benjaminites took the bait, with 10,000 picked men pursuing, said to originate from Jibea. What followed was a fierce battle. Then a predictable bit of foreshadowing, straight from the scroll of Judges author. But the Benjaminites did not realize that disaster was close upon them. Then the writer cuts to the end of the scene, telling us that, on that day, the Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel, and the Israelites struck down 25,100 armed Benjaminites. Upon witnessing this, the remaining Benjaminites knew they were defeated. Then, a summary of why it unfolded as it had. The Israelites gave ground to Benjamin because they relied on the troops in ambush that they had stationed against Jibea. The troops in ambush rushed quickly upon the city, putting the whole city to the sword, a slaughter of the residents, potentially all unarmed. The Israelites had previously decided that a smoke signal would be sent from the city when the slaughtering was nearly complete. With this signal, the main body of the Israelite army, the ones feigning retreat to draw out the Benjaminites, these Israelites would turn around and attack. This was just after the Benjaminites thought that the day was going, as the previous had. But, when the column of smoke began to rise out of the city, the Benjaminites looked behind them to see their city burning, realizing they'd been tricked and defeat was near. What to do? They retreated towards the wilderness. Then, in the city, at least those still vertical and ventilated came out, only to be struck down. As for the forces in retreat, they were chased from Noha, as far as an unnamed place east of Jibea. While in retreat, some 18,000 additional Benjaminites were killed. Then, an unexpected adjective. Despite being in retreat, and so far being portrayed as the villains in the story, they were described as courageous fighters. Then, they turned and fled towards the wilderness to the Rock of Rimen. While going this way, another 5,000 of them were cut down on the main roads. They went towards Giddam, where 2,000 fell. Thankfully, the text saves me from the task of getting out a calculator by providing a sum, telling us that 25,000 armed Benjaminites fell. Again, all of them said to be courageous fighters. If you're keeping score, the Israelites lost 40,000 in the first two days, but they also started with a much greater force, so able to withstand what had become a war of attrition. The story isn't quite finished. Some 600 Benjaminites turned and fled towards the wilderness to the Rock of Rimen and remained on the rock for four months. At this point, the Israelites turned back against the Benjaminites not at the rock and put them to the sword. Who did they slaughter? All of the remaining people, 
animals, everything. They also burned the towns, with the plural purposeful, likely indicating all the towns of Benjamin were razed. And that's the end of Judges 21, but not quite the end of the tale, though what's left is too lengthy to finish in this episode, which provides me with a good stopping point. Join me next week when I'll cover what happened after the Benjaminites' defeat. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes or wherever you get the podcast from. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast is three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Thank you.